Tim, thanks for coming to speak with us today. My pleasure. So can you just give us a bit of your background and what makes you qualified uh, for speaking on behalf of the Christians of the world? <laughs> okay. Um, I guess when you want to find out about any topic, you can ask somebody who's an outsider or somebody who's an insider. Uh, outsiders got the advantage that they look maybe dispassionately at something and can describe it. But actually, if you want to know really what something's like, an insider is better. So I come to you as an insider to Christianity. Uh, if you're an outsider, then uh, I hope that you're willing to listen to me as somebody who has made a conscious decision uh, to embrace Christianity and, and to be a Christian. Um, uh, now, people come to Christianity from all sorts of different um, directions, I guess. Uh, some people are into aesthetics and are attracted to Christianity because it's beautiful. I, I'm not like that. I'm an engineer. Okay, so what attracts things to me, I, I think, uh, firstly, that it's real, it's concrete, you can... And secondly, that it works. So that, that's the pragmatist in me, the engineer in me. And so I guess that's, that's the direction I come from. Uh, and I hope that that will be a useful direction for you as well. Great. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Rob. Well, today's about clarity. Christianity, what is it? Because my guess is that many people have different impressions, different ideas of Christianity. have been watching the news recently. You may associate Christianity with child sexual abuse and other things like that. And it is, I think, confusing for many people if you're on the outside looking in, or even sometimes for people on the inside looking out. I remember seeing a sign once on a high brick wall that surrounded an institution. This is what it said. Private property, no trespassing. All trespassers will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. (laughs) Like, something doesn't quite compute with that, does it? It, it, It's confusing, mixed messages. Uh, What's that saying about Christianity? Is it harsh and demanding, as if God's some sort of celestial policeman? Or soft and cuddly and loving, uh, as if God is a congenial grandfather? Well, if you've experienced either of those... Or the confusion, uh, apologies uh, from me, uh, that means we haven't been particularly clear as Christians. And what I want to share with you today and present is not some uh, on-the-edge, periphery Christian understanding, but mainstream, generic, biblical Christianity. Not exotic, it's just mainstream. And in the next sort of 25-30 minutes, uh, my attempt is to give you some bare basics it's going to give it a shot, it won't answer all your questions, it won't come at it from every angle and explain everything. I'm going to assume minimal knowledge of Christianity. Uh, so uh, if what I tell you is stuff you know already, please forgive me, come with me. My starting point is one sentence from the Bible, which is printed on your outlines. It comes from a letter that was penned in the first century. That is, uh, it was penned within a generation of the life and death of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what uh, uh, early Christian leader Paul said. He says, God's grace has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has annulled the power of death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what I want to try and explain and expound and expand on uh, today. Notice it starts with God's grace. That is, God is gracious. He's generous towards humanity. He he has a genuine care. He's not a celestial policeman just getting the torch out, trying to find where humans go wrong. He's gracious towards us. And he's taken action. His grace has been revealed in a concrete, real way through the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know whether this question has ever crossed your mind. Why doesn't God do something about our world? Welcome. 
As most of us look around the world and say, this is not the world that it should be. There are things that are wrong. There's disease, there's all sorts of things that, that impinge on our lives that are just unpleasant and dangerous. And even the way we live with each other is not what we want to be. We, we need policemen, we need armies. We, of course, we know that things go wrong and things are wrong. Evil runs rampant in different situations. Why doesn't God do something? Well, this sentence says that God has done something. He's acted. And he's acted in an extraordinary way. He's acted to overcome the power of death, resulting in life and immortality. That is, the magnitude of God's action is to deal with death itself. People call it the one certainty in life. And I think it's true. My, my contention is that any philosophy, any religion that doesn't deal with the major problem of human life, which is death, uh, has got a genuine weakness. Because death is disastrous. If death has been conquered, though, that is the biggest thing that's ever happened. That's, that's big news. And when this sentence was quilled on parchment, it had that ring of excitement of everything is now different. The, the world looks different in the light of what God has done. That's what I want to explore in three parts. The person at the centre, the weekend that changed everything, and the gospel that changes our lives. So that, that's where we're going. Christianity, if you haven't worked out yet, is about a person, Christ, Christianity, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived in ancient, uh, the ancient world uh, in the first century uh, AD, and I think, I'm biased, I know, but I actually think he's the most impressive person I've ever come across in history. Not because he was rich or powerful, he didn't lead armies, not because of his physique or he could run faster than a lightning bolt, but because of the sort of person that he was and what he did. He was born in about 5 BC, lived in obscurity to about 30 AD, and only had about three years of public activity, and that was mainly in rural backwater of Palestine in the Roman Empire. The word Christ we often think of as a surname, Mr Jesus Christ, or for short, Mr J Christ, but it's not a surname, it's a title. Uh, it's another way of our word that, that's come into the English language from it is Messiah. And Messiah is a job description. And it's one you may be at least partly familiar with. Because Messiah describes somebody who comes to your rescue. So the dockers need a Messiah, don't they? Desperately need a Messiah. Pavlish, he's on the way out. They need somebody else who can come and, and be the, the, the leader that, that takes them to, to glory. Uh, some might say that the, uh, some of our political parties need a Messiah because they're, they're in the, the wilderness of opposition. And God said, I've got my Messiah. I've got my Christ, my agent, through whom I'm going to put things right. And Jesus was that Messiah. That's the claim of Christianity. A human, one of us, yes, but also God himself, God the Son. And his mission, self-described mission, was to overcome the powers of evil in our world, to do something permanent about the tragedy of the human situation. He went around healing people and liberating people from the powers of evil, of evil spirits. He went around feeding the hungry, both physically and spiritually, feeding the soul as well as the body. He raised dead people back to life. And Jesus called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule coming into this world. He took on the forces of those who opposed God and his rule over this world and liberated the captives. 
It was God reclaiming his rightful ownership of planet Earth. If he made it, he does own it, doesn't he? Most of us have rejected his right to own it. Jesus came back reclaiming Earth for God and reclaiming all who live here and bringing all the benefits of his good and generous rule, dispensing God's forgiveness, welcoming the dregs of society. Let me try and give you an analogy of what Jesus did, was like. If, I don't know whether you know any history, Second World War is probably something you've heard of. Okay, it happened in the last century. In Second World War, the Axis forces under Germany uh, and others basically invaded and took over almost all of Europe. Uh, and this is a nice illustration because, at least from where I sit, they were evil, the Allies were good. Okay, so it's a nice good evil sort of thing. On the 6th of June 1944, most of continental Europe was under the power of Germany. But that day was D-Day. Welcome, come in. There's a, an outline if you'd like to grab one. Uh, that would just help you follow where we're going. Hi. 6th of June 1944 was called D-Day. That was the day, that, the hidden in secrecy day, when the Allied forces launched from Britain across the English Channel and landed on the beach of Normandy. It was an invasion, but it was a good invasion to overcome the occupying forces of Hitler and liberate the captives in France and Belgium and Holland and, and more and more. But on that D-Day, the destiny of Europe was still in the balance. Who was going to win? Would the Allied forces streaming up the beaches end up uh, uh, prevailing? Or would the Axis forces fight back and, and drive them uh, back into the ocean? Well, so with Jesus. Jesus was an invasion of planet Earth, of the rightful owner of, the, of God and his kingdom. But will his kingdom triumph all the powers of evil overcome it? Drive him back. The destiny of the world, in fact of the universe, was at stake at that point in history. And that culminated in the weekend that changed everything. AD 33, Passover in Israel was in April. And in Jerusalem, on, the, on a Thursday before Passover, a plot by the religious authorities led to this Jesus being arrested and they pushed their agenda through the courts so that on the Friday morning, by 9am, he's crucified, hung up on a cross, executed as a common criminal. By 3pm that afternoon, he's dead. The most righteous person who's ever lived, murdered in the most degrading way imaginable by the conspiracy of religious and political leaders. It was an event that's incredibly revealing as well as uh, achieving it reveals, firstly, something about humanity. It reveals that we as humans are unmasked as the God-resisters, the God-haters we really are. God comes among us, doing good, putting the powers of evil on notice, and what do we do? We murder him. It's almost impossible to believe. But you might say, no, it wasn't me. It was, it was just them. I would never have done it. Friends, I don't know you, but I know that I think if I was there, I would have done it. Because there's something deep inside each of us that wants to resist God. The depth of our human predicament is exposed in what happened that day. We're not just victims of evil, of sickness and death. We're perpetrators. We, we don't want God interfering in our life. It's just part of normal human life, isn't it? I don't want anybody else telling me what to do because it's my life. I want to decide what to do with it. And when God, my owner, my creator, comes and visits, what do we do? We murder him. Evil grips our hearts. And because of it, we're staring down the barrel of condemnation from God. 
Now, Christianity's diagnosis of the human condition is actually different to most other religions and philosophies. Most say, well, humans aren't too bad. You give them the right conditions, they'll do all right. Well, here's the best conditions possible. The most righteous person that ever lived, God himself among us, and we murder him. That's a very serious diagnosis. It needs more than just a band-aid to fix. Humanity's revealed. Secondly, Jesus' death, that crucifixion, achieves something remarkable. Because in dying, Jesus claimed, and he, he, he uh, explained in many ways, he paid the penalty for our evil. We all deserve God's condemnation, that is death. But Jesus dies in our place. He takes what I deserve instead of me. The power of evil to destroy humanity is broken because he, he secures forgiveness for even people like me and you. And thirdly, God is revealed for who, who he really is. He's not a slave driver, a spoiler of our fun, but our champion, our, our, the one who really loves us, who's prepared to go to the most extreme lengths of pain and humiliation to be reconciled to us. Humanity's revealed, God is revealed, and something remarkable is achieved. But that weekend didn't stop with the crucifixion of Jesus and his burial in a tomb. Two days after he was crucified, visitors went to his grave on the Sunday and they found the grave open. No body there being told he's not here, he's risen. And in the days and weeks that followed, many saw him alive again. The same Jesus that died, he, he still had the scars in his hands from the nail holes from crucifixion, was the same Jesus, but fully alive, immortally alive, a real physical body. Now, that's, that, that's a unique event in history. I'm not aware of anybody else who's even claimed that that is true of them. Many claimed that they saw Jesus. But what does it mean? Because it's, a, it's an event outside our experience. I guess it, it was sort of like, imagine if you can, going back in history, before the wheel was invented. And one day, somebody came to you with a wheel. I presume at first you just say, that's a funny round thing. I wonder what it can do. But if you thought about it over the next days and weeks, you could think of all sorts of things to do with a wheel, couldn't you? you know, cars, steam trains, locomotives, everything would come to your imagination. It, it would be an invention that changed your life. Well, that's what the resurrection of Jesus is like. It's a bit hard at first to think, what would be the significance of somebody dead coming back to life? And it wasn't just that he lived a little bit longer than other people. He came back from death forever to overcome death. So let's think a little bit about death for a moment. Death is a biological fact, isn't it? But it's much more than that. For us humans, whose lives are more than just biology, death is an enemy. Death is something that destroys all that is worthwhile and valuable in life. I mean, if you've ever had a friend die, a family member die, you've experienced some of that, haven't you? They're no longer with you. What you had with them, the relationship, the love, the, the spark, is suddenly just cut off. But for the person who's died, it's even worse, isn't it? Death has, death has robbed them of their life and everything that it is. Without life, there is nothing. Now, maybe that you've been fairly insulated from the reality of death so far. I hope that's true. But it won't last forever. Your grandparents, your parents, some of your friends, we know it's there. We tend to try and ignore it. 
There's a verse in the Bible that says, don't go to the party, go to the cemetery if you want to learn wisdom. And I think I want to echo that. If you, if you want to really learn wisdom, go to the cemetery, see how many people have died. What effect it might have had. Dylan Thomas, Irish poet, he penned it this way. Do not go gentle into that good night, that is the night of death. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Can, can you feel what he's saying? It's emotional, isn't it? He said, death is so terrible you should rage against it. Try and push it back with all your might to try and scare it away. But raging won't change a thing, will it? Death will still win. It'll swallow all of us. In that sense, death is the most powerful force in the world. We might escape gravity, but we can't escape death. I recently was watching the news on TV and there was a a news item came up that said uh, there'd been a significant reduction in teenage smoking so that in Australia, teenage smoking was now at 5%. Only 5% of teenagers uh, had taken up smoking. But it was the next line that really got my attention. It said, on this basis... 40,000 deaths will be prevented over the next 40 years. I thought, that isn't true, is it? Like, what is the mortality rate amongst smokers? I think it's 100%, isn't it? What's the mortality rate amongst non-smokers? It's still 100%, isn't it? No, there are no deaths prevented. They might be be, uh, delayed a little bit, but they're not prevented. Sorry? Yeah, you can do anything with statistics, aren't you? But I think that one is a pretty firm one. What's the mortality rate amongst humans? It's 100%. Mammal humans ever existed? 93% not yet. 93, I think it's, well, except for the ones who are still alive. Every human <laughs> has ended in death. That's going to happen for us too, isn't it? That's, that, it's not statistic at that point. It's personal. That's, that's me. And it's devastating. But death is, you could picture it as a, a sort of tide that just sweeps all of us away. And it will one day. For a while, I don't think the government would allow it now, but there are ads about HIV that actually used the image of the Grim Reaper. There was one where there were, uh, it had, a, had people standing in the, um, uh, sort of 10 people standing like you would with 10 pin bowling. That 10 pin bowling set them out. There were people standing there and the Grim Reaper uh, hurled this ball down and just smad- did a strike, okay, got us all. Trying to scare us about HIV. HIV is lethal, is what they're trying to say. Well, actually, life is lethal. We will all die. And it's like a high wall. That is, we don't know what's on the other side of it. because none of us have been there and come back to report it. But Jesus punched a hole in the wall of death. He died and came back again, never to die again. Every other person who's ever lived has succumbed to death. Muhammad died, and he's still dead. Buddha, enlightened, died. Elvis Presley, despite the rumours, he's dead. Amy Winehouse died, tragically. Jesus alone in the history of the world has overcome death, reversed the tide. He didn't just hold his own against death, as if you know he sort of pushed it back for his... Now, he actually died and came back again. He overcame it. And the implications of that are huge. It means that death is not the end that we thought it was. If Jesus came back to life, he can raise us, and that's what he's promised to do, to raise all humanity 
back to life again. It means that the power of evil over this world has been broken. And if it's been broken, its days are numbered. One day, it'll be banished completely from God's creation. No more corrupting evil influence. It means the future of our world and our universe is in the hands of Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's already under new management. The rightful and good owner is in charge. And the future of the universe is secured. It's not just going to go on and on and on till entropy takes over and it just all goes cold. Uh, Jesus will recreate this universe to be what it's meant to be. On that weekend, 33 AD, the destiny of the universe was reversed irrevocably, decisively, determined for the future. So if Jesus' coming was like D-Day in the Second World War, that weekend when he died and rose was like V-Day. V-Day was the day that Berlin fell, that Hitler died, and the power of the Axis forces was demolished forever on the 8th of May, 1945. But if you know your history, you know that when Berlin fell... Many people in Europe didn't know about it. If you're living in, in, in any part of Europe except where the forces have actually gone through towards Berlin, you still had German soldiers all around you. You still felt like you were in occupied territory, still under German uh, occupation. But news of the fall of Berlin needed to be couriered to every city and village and hamlet in Europe to bring, the light, bring to light the change of government, the freedom that that brought to every person under the power of Axis. Which brings us to the third part. The gospel that changes our lives. God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through a message. So imagine you're watching the Olympics on TV. Do you watch the Olympics? Or you're watching whatever else you watch. And suddenly they interrupt the broadcast with a newsflash. And they announced that the World Health Organization has uh, discovered a cure for death. Now, I think that would break through, probably. I mean, that, that's the sort of thing that you couldn't keep under wraps. If they discovered a cure for death, the whole world is going to know, isn't it? They'll, they'll broadcast that everywhere. Now, would that change your life? I, I think it would, wouldn't it? And you'd suddenly think, oh... <laughs> I don't have to do my exams this semester. I've got it. You know, the, time, the clock isn't ticking. My life is, is different now. And probably at first it would just be those immediate things. Um, you know, I don't have to have children in the next five years. I, I don't have to save for my retirement because there isn't any such thing as retirement. I, I can just live it up now. I can take a decade off uni. It <laughs> wouldn't make any difference. Well, a millennium, why not? But I think... As you thought about it a bit more, like the wheel, gradually more of the implications would sink in because it's a whole different way of experiencing life. If, there, if death has been overcome, if immortality is available, that changes life. And Christianity is the stunning news that Jesus has defeated death and makes life and immortality available to all. That he's created a new kingdom where death and evil no longer hold sway but instead life and immortality. And life here is not just biological life, just going on and on, subsisting, but a quality of life. Jesus himself said, I've come that you may have life, have abundant life. That is all the benefits of Jesus' generous and righteous rule. Where relationships work, they bring the joy and satisfaction 
They were designed to bring relationships with God and with each other, where work and effort make a permanent difference, a, a sense of accomplishment that isn't undermined by death. Life and immortality. Life not overshadowed by the end that's coming. As Christianity is not about you die and you go to heaven, floating around on clouds. It's about real physical resurrected bodies. Because we are physical. We're, that's what we are as people. Physical beings. And the door to life and immortality isn't won by achievements or university degrees. But it's opened by Jesus to all who want to enter. The clever and the simple. The black, the white, the yellow, the rich, the poor, the moral and the, and the criminal. And that's the guts of Christianity. Christianity, what is it really? It's about Jesus conquering death and bringing life and immortality to light. Now, I don't know whether that was what you thought Christianity was before you came in. I suspect most people think that Christianity is a religion. After all, you get one of those maps of the world that, that lists religion and plots out where there's majorities and Christianity is one of those and it, it looks like just any other religion. But at a fundamental level, Christianity, I think, is different to every religion. Because what's religion? Here's my very reductionistic, simplistic picture of religion. Religion is what we do to and for some god or power in order to get that power to bless us. Now, I've been in different parts of the world. In, in, uh, I've talked to animists in Africa. I've talked to Muslims. I've I've talked to Buddhists, I've talked to, to Hindus, and, and although there are some variations on that, that's basically what all of them affirm. That, that's what our religion is about. If we do the right thing towards God, towards the powers, whatever sort of powers we think they are, then they'll look after us, they will bless us. And that's religion, isn't it? That's how, that's how most people think about religion. Well, what's Christianity? Well, it's actually the diametric opposite of that. Christianity is about what God has done for us. Sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again. To open the door to life and immortality for us. And we respond by what? By trust and obedience, yes. But it's a response to what God has done. It's not us manipulating the powers to get what we want. It's God giving us and us responding to his grace, to his generosity. Religions tell you what you need to do. Christianity is all about what God has done. Religions often use the fear of death to control you. Christianity frees you from the fear of death. It's about an amazing rescue mission mounted by God himself. And for me, anyway, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant in conception. It's stunning in execution. Extraordinary in its effects. There's not just a few individuals who are saved, but the destiny of the universe has been reversed. That's stunning news. And my guess is that most people walking around UWA do not have a clue that life and immortality have been brought to light. They just don't know. It hasn't crossed their radar. And in one sense, I think I need to apologise for that because I'm one of the people who know this. I should be telling them about this stunning thing. It means the future of the universe. It was headed for decay and death and hell with evil spoiling everything in the meantime, but now it's different. It's life and immortality. Now, just going back to that World War II analogy, imagine you lived in Norway, which was still under German occupation when Berlin fell, and you hear reports crackling over the radio. 
firstly of D-Day and the, the troops landing at Normandy, a fierce fighting of resistance. You're probably apprehensive which side's going to win. And then you hear Hitler is dead. The German government have fallen. But as you look around, there's German soldiers on every corner of your, of your village, of your, your town, still with their guns. You know the destiny of Europe has been reversed. But around you, it still looks like Germany's in control. At that point, what's at stake? Well, the destiny of Europe isn't at stake, but the destiny of each individual. Will you continue to side with the Germans, if you have been, or will you change sides? Will you fight against the Allies in some sort of useless defiance that will be ultimately tragic? Or will you come under the new Allied government, even though it, it, it doesn't look all that real where you are at the moment? Can you see that dilemma you might be in? The only sensible thing to do, isn't it, is to say, I'm with the Allies, because they've won. The decisive battle has been won, and they've won. Well, Christianity is the refreshing, stunning news that the decisive battle's been done. It was done by Jesus, and he won. Death is on the ropes. Evil and its future uh, it has got a use by date. And life and immortality are available for people like you and me. Ordinary people, moral and immoral, smart and not smart. Now, could you not be thrilled to hear that? Could you not be? I've got to admit, every now and then I've got to pinch myself and say, Tim, is this real? Is it real that Jesus has annulled the power of death and brought life and immortality to light? And I'm by nature a sceptic. That's just who I am. And I've got to go back and say, is the evidence clear? Did Jesus actually do it? Did it happen in history? Are the effects what they claim to be? And I'm convinced they are. Now, maybe you're unsure. Maybe you're sceptical about whether it's real or not. But I reckon if there's a slightest chance that it's true, that it's real, it's, it's got to be the best thing ever, hasn't it? The best thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe and in your life, that it, that, that it be true. So even if you're sceptical, surely it's worth looking at. Surely it's worth investigating whether there might be something true and real to this news. And if it is real, then the obvious question is, have I aligned my life with this reality or am I still fighting for the opposition? So Christianity, what is it really? It's about what God did, this rescue mission, in and through Jesus Christ. And it's stunning news that life and immortality have been brought to light for average, ordinary people like you and me.